Before we dive into God's word today, um, you may or may not have heard the news uh, of what happened in Buffalo, New York yesterday, where an 18-year-old man went into a, a grocery store in a predominantly black area of Buffalo and he killed 10 people. It was a racial hate crime. And it's a reminder that that's still out there. And uh, we have seen it in our own state with a Charleston 9. And I think we need to join with people in Buffalo and pray for God's peace and for healing and to pray that racial hatred would be driven away and driven out. So would you join me? Let's pray. Father, we don't have to look very far to see that hate is real and there is still much evil in this world. And I pray, God, that, that you would comfort people in Buffalo. I know they're in shock, and especially families who've lost loved ones. They're just going to the grocery store. And I pray, God, that, that even as those families question why and they wonder where you are, would you show them that you're with them, that this was not your will, that this is an act of evil perpetrated by someone who has a very twisted idea of what is right. Would you comfort those and heal those who were wounded? Father, would you help that young man find you and let the hate be driven out of his heart? I pray for the city of Buffalo that it would not erupt into racial violence. I pray, Father, that your healing would be upon that entire city and upon our land and help us as your church, as your people to continue to love one another and love our enemies because it is only your love that ever destroys hate and we need that love so much right now. I ask all of these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Who is a coward? Well, I see a couple of you raising your hands. I wasn't really asking for a congregational participation. Um, a, a coward is a person who lacks the courage to do or to endure. So when I was growing up, my brother would uh, challenge me to climb to the top of our barn, and then he would say, jump off. And I would say no, and he would say, coward. My brother was always challenging me not to be a coward. And so when he said, coward, I would jump off. I sprained both my ankles. When we would go horseback riding, he would say, jump from your horse to mine like John Wayne. And I would say no, and he would say, coward. And so I would jump and I would miss the horse and I would eat a mouthful of dirt. I remember one time down at the pond uh, where the gator lived, he said, jump in the pond with a gator. And I said, no, and he said, coward. And I said, you bet. Maybe, maybe a more challenging question is, are you a coward? Now, men, I know, we never want to admit that we are cowards. Men will do foolish and stupid things to prove that we are brave and we are not cowards, and that usually starts with the sentence, hold my beer. Now, women, I know that uh, you deal with some of this yourself. I don't know exactly the same way because obviously I'm not a woman, 
But I do know in my own home, apparently there were part of our wedding vows that I did not understand the part which said to have and to hold from this day, or from this day forward, for better or for worse, to kill all mice, roaches, bugs, and snakes that might enter into the home. Apparently that is the male job. I think women may deal with some of this fear as well. And it's striking to me how often that people are cowards about their faith. God asks them to take a next step, and their fear holds them back. So could God use a coward? Well, we're diving deep into the book of Judges, and we're finding out that God uses all kinds of people. We talked about this last week, that God chooses and uses whoever he wants to. And the people of God have repeated a familiar pattern. They've started worshiping other gods. They've turned their back on the one true God. And so God has sent an oppressor to them. And the oppressor this time are a group of people called the Midianites. The Midianites were raiders. They would have come in on horseback and on camel. They would have gone through villages and towns. They would have stolen crops, stolen wealth. Uh, they were basically robbers. Imagine spending your whole year building up crops so your family could eat through the winter and it's stolen from you. And so now, once again, God needs to raise up a deliverer because once again, his people, after years of this, have said, you know, th this needs to change. We don't need to keep living like this. And they cry out to God. So who does God send this time? If you have a Bible open to Judges chapter 6, Judges chapter 6. Keep your Bibles open because we're going to be moving through chapter 6 and 7. And we're going to be introduced to a man who really is a coward. Starting in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came down and sat under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Azurite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So we meet a man named Gideon. An angel appears. And here is Gideon, he's down in the wine press, he's pitching up wheat to separate the wheat and the chaff. Now, because we don't do this, let me explain. Normally you would do this at a threshing floor. It would have been a high, elevated, rocky place, and you would take something like a pitchfork, you would pitch it up in the air, and the wind would catch the shaft, which is the lighter part that you don't eat, and blow it away, and the heavier grain would fall to the ground. So it was a way to, to get the grain you needed to make bread. But this is not where Gideon is threshing the wheat. Instead, he's down in a wine press. You know what a wine press is? How many of you ever saw the famous episode of I Love Lucy where she's stomping around in the grapes? Okay, she's in a wine press. They would have hollowed out this big stone place and had men come and women from all over the village to stomp the grapes and then produce juice that they would bottle and ferment as wine. That's why wine in the ancient world had such an interesting aroma. And so right away, one of the things we figure out about Gideon is he does not want the Midianites to know what he's doing. So he's chosen a bad place to do this. It's going to make his work twice as hard. And we find out maybe just a hint that he's a coward. And you say, he's not a coward, he's smart. He's hiding from the Midianites. Look, just because a decision is smart doesn't mean it's courageous. You and I can justify all kinds of decisions in our life of why we won't do something and call it courage, but that doesn't mean it is really courageous. Maybe smart, not courageous. Verse 12. 
When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. So angels are messengers from God. Here's the message. It has two parts. First part, the Lord is with you. Now this is not just the Lord is with you through the valley of the shadow of death or the Lord is with you all the time. This actually has a different meaning. This is the idea that the Lord is with you and has a purpose for your life. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, it's really important to understand that God has a purpose for your life. And the Lord being with you is not just to comfort you, although that's what God does. The Lord being with you is also to to challenge you to find your purpose in life. And then the angel tells Gideon what the purpose is. Mighty warrior. Hey, Gideon, you're to be a mighty warrior. I will wager that Gideon never thought of himself before this as a mighty warrior. Never did he stand in front of his mirror in the morning and go, good morning, mighty warrior. Just not him. And we'll see that more as this goes on. I want you to remember that when you decide to follow Jesus, God gives you a new identity. When you start following Jesus, when you start following God, God has a new identity for you. To accept Jesus means that you are no longer beaten down, trodden down, defeated. It means you are the forgiven, grace-filled, loved, and cherished child of the King. You've got a whole new identity. Now, Gideon, you've got a new identity. Mighty warrior, God is with you. And Gideon's response is a little deflating. Verse 13. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon's not quick to embrace his new identity. Instead, he's got questions like, why is this happening to us? Some of you have that question. Why is this happening to me? Something bad goes on in your life. Why is this happening to me? Why did God let this happen? But Gideon goes further. He said, hey, our ancestors told about all these incredible things that God had done, getting them out of the land of Egypt. We don't see that anymore. Some of you have that question. You know, why was Jesus able to do all of these miracles and we don't see miracles like that now? What Gideon doesn't realize and what you may not realize is God's next great thing is going to involve Gideon. God's next great thing might involve you. I don't think God intends for you to live a bland and mediocre life where you're just going through the paces, paying the bills, raising the kids, getting them out of the house, looking forward to your retirement, traveling up and down the road in Winnebago. There's more to your life than just what everybody else is doing. So this is how the angel responds. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? This is real important. Let me pause right here. Because what the angel is saying, the angel representing God, is, hey, this whole thing about you being a mighty warrior, I want you to go in the strength you have. Way too many of us think, okay, my job is to let God do the work, and then I'll walk through the open door. 
But our God continually shows that he wants to involve you in his miracles. You've got a part. If I've got a sick child, do you think I'm going to pray for my sick child? Absolutely. Do you think I'll also take them to the doctor? Yes, I've got a part. And, and here's the thing. God says, I am sending you. You're not in this alone, but you have a part. Now look at verse 15. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. I mean, he's so polite in his cowardness. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes. And I'm the least in my family. And the Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Gideon's protest is, I am nobody from nowhere. Nobody knows who we are. My family's just, is, is nothing. How can you pick me? That's the way some of you think. Isn't it? Hey, who am I? I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm not talented. I don't have any influence. I live in Sumter, South Carolina, for heaven's sake. Now, if you're watching this online, maybe you don't live in Sumter. Maybe you live somewhere else. I, I know there are people watching us in Atlanta. And, and you may say, who am I? I'm in Atlanta. Nobody knows who I am. I get that. But your opinion of yourself does not determine God's purpose for your life. Too many of you have gotten messages, maybe from your parents, maybe from your teachers, maybe from your coworkers, that you don't amount to anything, but God has a purpose for you, and God's promise is, I will be with you. I know I've told you this story before, it's one of my favorites. So there is an ant and an elephant walking through the jungle, and they come to a swinging bridge. You know the swinging bridge, like Tarzan, you know, okay. So they come to this swinging bridge, and the ant and the elephant walk across the bridge together, and the bridge sways back and forth, and they get to the other side, and the ant looks at the elephant and says, boy, we made that thing swing. In that story, who's the elephant? Hint, it's not you. God's the elephant that makes the bridge swing. And if God says he'll be with you, let me tell you, there's a whole lot of swinging about to happen. Now at this point, don't you think this would be enough? That Gideon would say, this is amazing, an angel's talking to me, giving me a commission, I've got promises that God is gonna be with me. You'd think it'd be enough, right? Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign. An angel talking to him is not enough of a sign. That is, is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So to compress this part of the story a little bit, the angel says he'll stay. Gideon goes and he gets the offering. He spreads it out on the rock. The angel apparently has a rod in his hand. He touches the rock. The rock bursts into flame, pretty impressive. And then the offering is consumed and the angel disappears. Here's your sign. Here's what you've been looking for, Gideon. And his reaction is still fear. This is why I think Gideon is a coward. Because he's just been told, 
that God has a mission, a purpose for his life. And his response in verse 21 is, when Gideon realized that it was an angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, alas, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He panics. And the Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. Duh. I just gave you a mission. I'm not going to kill you. The word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Some of you know that word. It means peace. It can also mean hello, goodbye. It can also mean shut up. Does God ever tell you to shut up? Ooh. And so God says, look, I've got a purpose for you. I'm not going to kill you. But you hear how Gideon's fear is still controlling him. He's afraid. And there is something frightening about understanding that God has a purpose for your life that's bigger than whatever your life is right now. I've talked through the years with a number of men They come to me and they say, Clay, I think God wants more for my life than just me doing my job, than me just making money and raising my family. I think God wants more. I said, well, what do you think? I think maybe I'm called to ministry. I said, let's sit down and talk about that. So we talk about it. And as we talk through it, they say, well, you know, well, I have to go back to school. I said, well, probably you're going to have to get some education. Yeah, that's going to be really helpful. It's like getting tools in your toolkit. And, And then it comes, it always comes, usually about 15 minutes into the conversation, they'll say, now what about money? How much do ministers make? (laughs) Okay, you don't do this to get rich, right? If you do this to get rich, you're in the wrong business. Although there are some people who are doing it to get rich and God will deal with them. And so when I kind of tell them, okay, here's the financial realities. You're going to have to tighten things up and you'll probably have to sell the lake house and you may have to, you know, do some, and, and, and then they get real quiet and the conversation goes on and then usually the conversation will stop and sometimes, about half the time, honestly, those people then eventually drop out of coming to church altogether. And I know why. Because they looked at what God asked them to do and they said, well, that, that, that cost is too high. I can't do it. But I did have one friend. He really felt called. Went home, talked to his wife. She said, I know you've been called. I've known it for months. He was courageous enough to sell his house, sell his boat, sell his John Deere riding lawnmower had three small kids, moved into a trailer, a single wide, three small kids, to go back to school. Because he trusted that if God called him, it would be a better life than if he stayed comfortable. So let's get forward in the story. The spirit comes on Gideon. He calls an army. The people begin coming and volunteering. Remember, Gideon's nobody from nowhere, but he issues this call. I bet he thought nobody would come and he'd be off the hook. But now troops are streaming down from the mountain. Men are leaving their shops and their their farms and they're coming to answer this call of God to rise up against the Midianites. And Gideon is more scared by success than the call. 
And so we see in, in verse 36, Gideon said to the Lord, or said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place wool, a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test. Think about that word. We're going to come back to it. With the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now, I, you may have heard this story. It's one of the most famous ones about Gideon in the Bible. And often we have heard it as, okay, this is how you find out God's will. You lay out a fleece. But, but that doesn't, that's not really what the story's about, is it? it? It's not about discovering God's will. Gideon already knows what God's will is. God's will is for him to be a mighty warrior and to defeat the Midianites. Gideon knows this. What, what is this? Well, the key is in the second request. Gideon is testing God. Gideon is saying, okay, God, I'm still afraid. My being a coward still is controlling me. So God, you've got to give me a sign to let me know that this is, is still going to work. Allow me one more test. Isn't that just like us? See, you may sit in a service like this, you may hear a song sung or a message shared, and there's a stirring in your heart. That's a sign that God is saying something to you. Your heart gets stirred, and you begin to get this restlessness. I need to do something, and it won't go away. And, and then you begin to say, okay, God, if this is really from you, give me a sign. And something happens that confirms it, and then you say, okay, God, great, give me another sign. You can sign God to death. Now, not literally, because God doesn't die. But let me ask you, how many signs do you need? Remember, Gideon so far, he's had an angel show up, speak to him. The angel does this amazing miracle. Now he's had the whole do thing once, and then he asks God for it again. How many signs do you need? Now, let me tell you what's even more striking is how gracious God is. See, if I were God and you were putting me through all these tests, I would get tired and say, well, forget it. I'm not doing any more tests, right? Forget it. If you don't get it, I'll go find somebody else. But God is so gracious, so patient with Gideon. Maybe because he understands how afraid Gideon really is. I want you to think about how patient and gracious God is with you. Have you ever felt how patient God is with you? how gracious he is, how he continually reassures you, yes, I've got you, I'm guiding you, I'm leading you, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. When's the last time you thank God for being patient and generous with you? Now up to this point, as we said, Gideon is testing God, but now it's about to switch. God is going to start testing Gideon. Let's skip all the way down now to chapter 7, verse 2. 
The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me my own strength has saved me. We are told that Gideon has 32,000 men. And God says, that's too many. When's the last time you ever heard a general say, I've got an army that's too big? A lot of you will know the Powell principle, named after General Colin Powell, go in with overwhelming force and abundant supplies and envelop the enemy. God apparently has never read the Powell principle. And so he says, we're going to fight this battle my way. Give Gideon some credit. He is about to really trust God because God says, we're going to whittle down this army. And the first thing that God does is he says, I want you, Gideon, to send home all the men who are afraid. He's got 32,000. 22,000 of them say, yep, that's me. I'm afraid. Send me home. And now he's down to 10,000. And God says, still too many. And then God devises this weird test, and we don't know exactly what the test meant, except it was another way to sort people. God says, look, when you come to a stream, the men who will cup the water in their hands and then lap it like a dog, those are the keepers. And every man who gets on his belly and drinks from the stream, or every man who gets on his knees and kind of just tries to throw the water up and catch it like that, send them home. Only 300 men cup the water, lap it like a dog. 9,700 are sent home. Now Gideon has gone from an army of 32,000 to 300, and God says, now we've got them where we can do something. Does this make any sense to you? If God asked you to do something that didn't make any sense, would you do it? You see, I I do think that there's a time in our faith walk with Jesus Christ that you're going to be asked to do things that don't make any sense to you, but they are part of God's plan. I can think about two times in the life of our church. The first, uh, I mean, there's been many, but one of the the big ones was uh, 25 years ago. And we had outgrown our facility on Miller Road. And for those of you who don't know, Alice Drive Baptist Church has never been on Alice Drive in Sumter because we like confusing people. And, and, and it was apparently we were going to have to do something. And, and God led us in an amazing way to buy property, to build a building for 800 people when we only had 400 people. And people in town said it didn't make any sense. And some of the people in the church at the time said it didn't make any sense. And there was nights when I laid awake saying, this doesn't make any sense. And yet God was in it. God was in it. Let me tell you about another time. It's right now. It's right now. See, I, I was absolutely convinced that when it came to our Pacala campus that, that we should rent space in a shopping center and, and that door just wouldn't open and two men from our church took me out to lunch and said, we think you're on the wrong track. We think we ought to try to get some land and build. And I said, well, I'll prove you wrong. I'll go ask a man to give us a piece of land and knowing that he will say no. Then I went and asked that man for that piece of land and he gave it to us. I walked out of office. <laughs> and then we needed to raise money for the building. And, 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 and people said, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You can't do that. This is a terrible time. Don't try to do this now. But we did. And, and, and because you're generous and you trust God, I mean, we now have steel going up at the Pacala building site. 
If God is in it, he's going to make a way. If the call of God is clear, he will provide the how. Now, on the eve of the battle, Gideon is still a little nervous. Um, Although this time he's not asking God for reassurance. But God knows and God still gives him reassurance. And so we're told in verse 10 of chapter 7, if you are afraid, this is God speaking to Gideon, if you're afraid to go and attack, go down to the camp with your servant Purah and listen to what they're saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. God knows that we can be afraid, so he he sends us reminders. What reminders is God sending you? So Gideon and Pura, at dark, they sneak down to the edge of camp, and they hear two of the Midianite guys talking. One of them apparently has gone to sleep early, and he's just woken up. He wakes the other guy up, and he says, I just had this dream that a loaf of barley bread rolled into the camp and knocked over a Midianite tent. And the other guy, he just woke up, says, let me tell you what that means. It means that God has given the Midianites into the hand of Gideon. I don't know how you get that interpretation from that dream But all of a sudden, Gideon finds out that the enemy is just as scared as he was. You know who is the most frightened being in the universe? It's Satan. You know why? Because Satan knows the power of God. And he knows what will happen if God's people are serious about following Jesus. So Gideon now goes, okay, thanks for that last sign. Goes back to the camp. I'll just summarize this, compress it real briefly. Uh, He tells all 300 men to get a trumpet and to get a clay pot and put a lit torch in the clay pot. And then they surround the Midianite camp. And at Gideon's signal, this happens right after midnight, they all blow the trumpets. Now, a little bit about ancient warfare No walkie-talkies, no radios. So to send battle signals, you blew trumpets. Different calls meant different things. And usually you would have one trumpeter for every battalion. So that would be about 500 men, one trumpeter. When they hear 300 trumpets, how many troops do they think are out there? Yeah, whoever said a lot is right. But it's probably somewhere around 150,000. And they don't have 150,000. All of a sudden they're thinking, oh my gosh. The Israelites have come against us in overwhelming force. Gideon sends a signal. They break the clay pots. They bring out the torches. Those of you who've been in the woods at night, you know this. When you're in the woods at night and all of a sudden there's a light, your eye is drawn to the light. And as soon as you look at the light, even a torch light, your night vision is destroyed. So these Midianites suddenly can't see in the dark. And they've heard a battle cry from a trumpet. And now... They start pulling out their swords and hacking at the closest thing to them because they can't make out anything in the dark. They're killing each other. And if it wasn't the tragedy of war, it would be kind of funny in a really dark way, right? Because you have all of these Israelites, 300 of them, surrounding this big army of Midianites. These guys are standing there holding their torches, watching the enemy kill each other, going, I think we're winning. You think we're winning? I think we're winning. And, and 
The way the battle ends is the Midianites start running and Israel chases them. They capture the generals. They kill the generals. They destroy the Midianite army and the oppressors are thrown off. And now you want to say, so what? What are we supposed to learn from this? Here's the big idea of the day. You may want to write this down. God's plan for you is bigger than your fear. God's plan for you is bigger than your fear. Because let's face it, your fears keep you from being vulnerable, which inhibits your family life. Your fears keep you from being wise, which really works against you financially. Your fears work against you in your faith. Now, I wish I could just sit down with every one of you and talk about your purpose and about how your fear may be keeping you from God's purpose for your life. But let me just kind of hit some broad areas. Some of you, your reason for not following Jesus so far, for not accepting him as Savior and Lord, has been your fear. You're afraid that if you really accept Jesus and you decide to follow him, yeah, forgiveness will be great and going to heaven will be great, but you're afraid Jesus is going to turn you into a miserable person. And that may be because you've seen miserable Christians. Here's what you to know. God loves you and God has a plan for your life that is better than your plan because God loves you more than you love yourself. And God not only loves you more than you love yourself, he knows more about you than you know about yourself. Doesn't it make sense then to follow his plan? Some of you, some of you are afraid to get baptized and I get that. It's up in public. Some of you are afraid. They say that Americans are more frightened of speaking in public than they are of their own death. So apparently the worst fate any of you could be asked to do is speak at your own funeral. But I want you to think about, think about this. What if actually taking your next step in baptism helped give you the courage to take the next step after that? Because this is really pretty simple, isn't it? We ask you to go in, make a confession of faith, and get wet. You don't have to learn Hebrew, you don't have to learn Greek, don't have to really, you know, do anything that's hard, you just have to be willing to get wet. Most of you get wet every day, at least I hope you do. What if you could overcome your fear and that got you ready for your next step? Some of you, scared to join this church. I get that, you've been hurt in churches in the past, you're wondering, hey, I'm not sure that I really fit here. But what if, what if this is meant to be the family that you really need? to support you in really tough times that are ahead. Some of you are scared to go into a group. And you're scared because you think, well, you know, if I walk into a group, there'll be all these strange people there. And let me admit, we have a lot of strange people at Alice Drive. That's why you feel at home. (laughs) But maybe your next best friend is in that group and you need to discover them by getting in a group. Some of you, you really resist the spiritual disciplines of Bible study, prayer, giving, fasting. But what if God wanted to shape your soul into something beautiful by you doing those disciplines? Some of you really frightened to give and you think, well, it's my money and I earned it. And if I give it away, I won't have enough. Well, wouldn't it help you to remember that that's actually God's money? Because I don't know how to break this to you, but every one of you, when you die, you're going to leave behind every penny. And you say, well, I just don't want to run out of money before I die. I want to be sure I'm secure. I get all that. But don't you think the God who gave you the strength to work and the intelligence to work can also take care of whatever your financial needs are? See, giving's a matter of trust. Some of you, some of you are afraid to serve. 
You're afraid to, to actually go out and take the risk and serve and do something God's asking you to do. Something as simple as vacation Bible school. You're afraid that if you go and serve at vacation Bible school, the kids are going to wrap you up in duct tape and stick you in a closet. Well, I just want you to know, all those kids have now graduated to student ministry, so you don't have to worry about that. But you know, maybe you could change a child's eternal destiny. I think it's time for you to push past your fear and stop being a coward and listen to God's call and take that next step. Now, I want us to make this real. And uh, I really want to encourage all of you to do this. Some of you won't, but I really want to encourage you to do it. I want you to think about one of your fears that's keeping you from your next step. One of your fears that's keeping you from your next step. And I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down. I want you to do it right now. Maybe put it in your phone. Some of you don't have paper. Some of you have forgotten how to write. So just with your thumbs, put it in your phone right now. Let me tell you why I want you to do this. Because this is the kind of message it's way too easy to listen to and say, you know, Clay's right. The God, word of God is right. And, and I need not to be governed by my fears. And then you're going to walk out of this room and you're going to forget it. But this is something where you need to continually pray and turn your fear over to God. And don't just let it rest here because it, leaving your fear in this space leaves your fear in control. Your fear needs to be brought to God and left there. And yeah, that, that may take time. And God may have to send you a lot of signs just like he did with Gideon. But over time, if you will let go of your fear, imagine you may be part of the next great thing God wants to do. Because everybody's got a next step. Don't be a coward. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you, you remind us that it takes courage to follow Jesus and it takes courage to take these next steps. So help us not be cowards. Deliver us from our fears. Give us courage to take that next step. And I want to pray especially for any who don't know Jesus as Savior that today they would accept him as Savior and Lord. Thank you, God for giving us purpose in life. Help us run to it in Jesus' name. Amen.